Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. love aliens. Speeding. Speeding. Hello, noise. Noise. <laughs> Remember the Animaniacs? I do. You know what I've been thinking of doing? What? Is learning. <laughs> learning their country song. <laughs> That's a great idea. Where they list all the countries. Oh my gosh, that's a great idea. I think it could make us TikTok famous. I was going to say, can we record a romantic duet for of it on TikTok? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's a great idea. I'm so glad you finally came up with an, a quarantine activity for us to do. I know. Not that you were like supposed to, I just... You know, that made it sound like I've really been slacking on <laughs> yeah, it. It made it sound like I, like I came up with one and I was like, okay, Kayla, your turn to come up with an activity and you just didn't. That's not the case. What I mean is nobody has helped me at all ever. <laughs> oh, is that to, so? <laughs> yeah. And I uh, am just really happy that you came up with something for yourself to do and that I inserted myself into the plan. Great. That's what I'm saying. I'm just kidding, you guys. Kayla has, Kayla has been very helpful to me, and I love her. Whatever. LOL blocked. <laughs> you guys, I got blocked by someone, we think. Oh, actually, it's the person. Isn't it the person yes, who... Yes, it's Spiny. Last <laughs> week, you were like... <laughs> so last week in the on the episode, Kayla was like, I'm, I have a quarantine phone date. And then you, you were like, how long do you think it's going to be <laughs> before he, or, you know, you were like, this is what you said. You said next week when he stopped talking to me, I'll let you, I'll let you guys know. So now that it's next week and he blocked you. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, he ghosted me, but what Like really... losing interest and whatever. Yeah. That's what not what happened. happened is. We went on a like social distancing date because he lives five blocks from me. So I walked over there and we were like sitting on the curb watching a movie and very far apart from each other. And he was a hammered at like <laughs> 11 p.m. Like I mm-hmm. which is fine. I've been hammered at 11 p.m. But never when I was expecting company like no, you can hammer with me, not before I get there. So he was. <laughs> Absolutely hammered, like could That's barely walk. That's a classic walk. man. And then he used the word gay derogatorily. And then when I told him not to do that, he told me to shut up. <laughs> and then <laughs> he told me that he had a problem with the fact that I'd hooked up with girls before. And I was like, ooh, that's a weird thing to admit. And That's then, a big 
big red flag. <laughs> yeah. So then finally, he was like so drunk he could barely sit up, and I was like, "Go inside." So I sent him inside, and then I went home. This was at like mm, twelve thirty. I did not last long. So I got home, and then at four a.m. he texted me. Where'd you go? I don't remember anything that happened. Mm -hmm. And then in the morning, he texted me, I want to date you. And I was like, this man has no idea what happened. <laughs> so finally, I was like, hey. What a lunatic. I was like, hey, we're just not compatible. And he like tried to fight me on it. And he was like, I don't usually drink that much. And the drinking was not really the problem. But I wasn't going to get not. into a fight with him about using the word gay derogatorily in 2020. And no. then he told me a sob story. And with Maggie's help, I was like, I hope you find healing. <laughs> yeah, we really workshopped that one so that he had no possible in. Like, we workshopped no it so in. that there was nothing he could grab onto <laughs> to make her continue to talk to him. Where she was, like, kind <laughs> and compassionate, but very firm with the boundary that exactly. she wanted nothing to do with him. And then he responded, bye. So I was like, okay, that's the end of it. I don't ever have to talk to this person again. And then I think mm, an hour and a half later, he said, LOL, period, whatever, blocked. And I was like. And clearly didn't block you. But it's just hilarious because he, he said bye and then you didn't respond. And then he got mad. I well, also the first time we ever talked on the phone, he just like called me out of the blue. I think it was the day we recorded, like in during the daytime. And I was like, I can't talk right now because I'm going to record tonight. And I have to like do shit before that. But we can, like, we'll have a phone date later. But he, his reception in his house is apparently so bad that he, like, can't hear a word that anyone is saying on the phone. But instead of being, like, my reception is bad, he would just, like, be silent. He would go, I would say, like, oh, something funny. And he would do this. <laughs> and I'd be, like, can oh. you hear me? No. Just tell me bad. you can't hear me. I, anyway, yeah, LOL, what? whatever, blocked. Yeah, and you're very funny. So, like, I know that it's not that you weren't being funny. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. I was being funny. That's but what I'm saying. Like, he also, like, laughed at stuff that wasn't that funny. <laughs> that's like, what I'm saying. That is wasn't it clearly jokes. wasn't about you. It was, like, clearly that he couldn't hear you. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, uh, anyway, I hope wow, he listens to lot. this. I hope he listens to this. I hope he this. finds healing. <laughs> And I hope he finds healing. I hope he finds healing, truthfully. Truly, because he has a lot of issues that I don't think he's confronting. Sure, yeah. That would lead someone to go on one social distancing date and be like, I deleted my Tinder, I want to date you. Relax. Did you already crack your beer? Yeah, because... I'm sorry, your, your claw. I already cracked my wah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to ceremonially crack my beer. Okay. To spite me. Spiny. Just spiny. This is our second and final <laughs> consecutive cheers. <laughs> wow. One, uh, you know what? We used to be one take wonders, but now it takes us two consecutive episodes to get over a Tinder date. Oh my God. Wow. This is the fastest I've gotten. I've run through a quarantine man. I was going to say, you know what, though? It does feel like you're streamlining the process. So oh, I think absolutely. that's positive. Yeah. I'm getting really good, good at weeding that. them out. Yeah. Most Happy, of my matches should be. I don't even respond to because I'm like, that's not worth my time. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. This is good for you. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited about these mysteries. Are you? I am. Hmm. 
Mine is about... You're going to go first. Yeah, mine's about um, something spooky. Don't say... Is it? No, it's not spooky at all. I was going to be scared. I wanted to psych you out. Set your expectations real low so when I tell you what it is, you'll be relieved. You're turning into a man who stares at goats and you're Mm. just trying to psych me out. I walked through my wall today. Walking through my wall, yeah, I was going to say. Just kidding. There are no walls in my apartment. (laughs) You went from your bedroom to, or I guess, well, that doesn't make any sense. You went from your kitchen to your dining room to your living room to your bedroom, and you didn't have to open a single door. That's true. Truly, truly blessed and psychic. Yeah, and cursed. (laughs) That's unrelated. Truly Hashtag blessed and hashtag cursed. <laughs> it's a hashtag blessing and a hashtag cursing. I just want to say that I feel hashtag cursed um, to <laughs> have so many people in my life who support me <laughs> because I don't want to talk to anybody. So it's a hashtag blessing and a hashtag curse. Truly, truly hashtag cursed to be living <laughs> in such unprecedented times. Oh my god, can we take a picture and post it on our Instagram and write hashtag cursed? Yeah, absolutely. To be living in 2020, yeah. Cool. Um, okay, oh, uh, the viewer, listener discretion's advised. I'm Maggie, she's Kayla, we're a podcast, it's time. Great job, great job. <laughs> Got that in right out of really the wire. Blew, really blew, blew right through those right at 941, just in time for the skippers. Genius. Just in time to catch the skippers right before. Because if we start the mystery in the next 10 seconds, then if they go too far and they skip back 30 seconds, they'll hit the discretion warning. Perfect. You know what we could do is we could just pause every every 15 or 30 seconds and give the warning. <laughs> That's also a great idea. I like the way you think. It's really out of the box. I just want to inconvenience as many people as possible. <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay. Um, yeah, that was all my business, so I think we're ready. Okay, sorry. I have to change it so that all of the font in my um, Google Doc is the same color one moment. <laughs> That's how I know you're doing a deep web mystery <laughs> when it's like some of it's like green. And some of it was gray today. Some of it's like basically written in like wingdings or like comic sans or some bullshit. That's this what was I know. Not, this is not wingdings level. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> next week will be wingdings level. Is it? My yeah. mystery for next week is gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna poop. No, I I record <laughs> under my stairs. You're gonna cry. Okay, I'll cry. I just don't want to poop down here. You'll definitely cry. And you're, you're gonna fart. <laughs> Sorry, are we nine-year-old boys now <laughs> playing Halo? Like, <laughs> you're gonna cry and fart. Are we playing Call of Duty right now? And it's us you're two gonna... nine-year-old boys and some seventeen-year-old boys and one forty-five-year-old man. You're gonna cart. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Are you Sorry. ready? Yeah. yeah, I got the giggles. Okay. <laughs> So I'm going to tell you <laughs> the mystery of conscience wood. Oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. 
I don't know what that means. I know. Say more words. Say more words right now. You're not going to know for a little bit what I mean. No. So here's some history. This mystery takes place in the Petrified Forest National Park in northeastern Arizona. Let's go there. We absolutely should. We drove through northeastern Arizona, and we had to skip the Flintstones Park. And you're telling me we also missed the petrified national forest in the Conscience Wood? I know. It's almost like we're ding-dongs. Yeah. Almost. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) So, the site was declared a national monument in 1906 and a national park in 1962. Here's how petrified wood forms. Downed trees accumulate in river channels and then are periodically buried by sediment-containing volcanic ash. This happened in the Triassic period. Cool. Then groundwater comes in and dissolves the silica, a.k.a. silicon dioxide, from the ash and carries it into the logs where it forms quartz crystals that eventually replace all the organic matter inside. And then iron oxide and other substances combine with the silica to create different colors in the petrified wood. Hi, my name is Maggie. I'm 29 years old. And today I learned I love wood. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the quartz within the petrified wood is super hard and brittle, brittle and it fractures really easily. And during the gradual lifting of the Colorado Plateau, which started about 60 million years ago, the petrified trees that were still buried were under so much stress that they broke like glass rods. And now they are like clean fractures and they're like Ah. evenly evenly spaced along the tree trunk, which makes it look like someone just like cut them with a chainsaw. (laughs) But they were like broken by stress, which is how I Same. feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so most of the petrified wood in the park is from an extinct conifer tree whose name I will not even try to pronounce. Um, what is it like? Do you Jeremy, want me to try? It's spelled with an E at the end, so you're not sure if it's Jerome or... No, it's like Kaylin, but there's too many Gs. Kaylee. <laughs> the tree is named Kaylee. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also some wood in the northern part of the park that is from, just cut this out because I honestly, Woodworthia, oh, here we go, Woodworthia, Arizonica. Okay, that's not Latin. (laughs) I know, the second one is hard. (laughs) They made it sound like it was Latin, but it's not, I I don't think. The first one is... The the second one, the second word in the first one is Arizonicum. But the first one is Aracarioxalin. Okay. Which I don't think yeah, is right. Again, it sounds like a white girl name. Like, I'm Anna Cariolin. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I and it, I'm Woodworthia. Yeah. And I'm Skildaria <laughs> Adamanica. <laughs> So there's at least nine species of fossil trees identified within the park. They're all extinct. Now, mm-hmm. the park also has fossils of other plants. They have lycophytes, fucking ferns. Can we talk about ferns? <laughs> we can't talk about ferns. 
especially <laughs> fossilized ferns, because you know those ferns were smarter. Mm-hmm. Hate. And they also have a whole bunch of plants that are just, like, unclassified. They're like, we don't know what that is. <laughs> That's also great. I love that. They also have. It's not too late to name them, like, Braylon, Arizonica, or whatever. And they can <laughs> go to, or like, they can cash. Go to, <laughs> yeah, and they can go to Ivanhoe, and we'll all be very happy for them. Genius. Um, they also have fossils of vertebrates, which I looked them up. There's one called a phytosaur, which is described as a giant crocodile-like reptile, but I swear to God, this thing looks like if you merged the target dog with a crocodile. Love that. Yeah. And then there's also a giant salamander called the Koskinondon. Koskinonodon. Yeah. Oh. Wow. And it's huge. And it's just like a big salamander. They say salamander-like, but I think that's just because it's separated from salamanders by so many eras that like. Yeah. But it just is just like a huge salamander. And I'm obsessed with it. Is the target dog's name Bullseye? Um, or did I make that up? Let's look it up. Or are we so, is our society so saturated with advertising that I just knew that? It's named Bullseye. Wow. That's like really unfortunate. It was formerly <laughs> known as Spot. I feel like I knew that, too, somehow. I feel like I knew the spot thing. Here's the thing. As a big fan of dog actors, um, <laughs> going all the way back to Wishbone and the Taco Bell Chihuahua, uh, I just I feel like this is not that off-brand for me. But I do think it's sad that somewhere in the deep recesses of my mind, I internalize the information that the imaginary target dog is named Bullseye. I have no problem with it. So what were you saying about salamanders? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. They just have big big salamanders and some early dinosaurs. So love it. I'm gonna redo a description that appears on the website for a book that is written by two men named Ryan Thompson and Phil Orr. It was published in 2014. It reads: According to Park Administration, the preservation efforts have been an overwhelming success. In the more than 100 years since its establishment in 1906, however, some visitors have still been unable to resist the urge to remove wood from the park. Some of these same visitors eventually return their ill-gotten souvenirs by mail, accompanied by conscience letters. The content of each letter varies, but writers often include stories of misfortune attributed directly to their stolen petrified wood, car troubles, cats with cancer, deaths of family members. For many, their hope is that by returning these rocks, good fortune will return to their lives. Other common themes include expressions of remorse, requests, requests for forgiveness, and warnings to future visitors. During the spring of 2011, on a chance trip to the petrified forest, I encountered a small display of these letters in the Rainbow Forest Museum. I was immediately drawn to them for their humor, heartbreak, and humility, and soon discovered that these few letters represented just a tiny fraction of the more than 1,200 pages in the park's archives. Despite the wishes expressed in the letters and the best intention of some of their authors, the returned rocks don't quite make it back to their former homes, at least not in the way the senders may have hoped. Because of their unknown provenance, these specimens cannot be scattered back in the park. To do so would be to spoil those sites for research purposes. They are instead added to the park's conscience pile, which sits alongside a private gravel service road, a bit of dramatic irony that only furthered my interest in the phenomenon. And so, with a rough idea for this book, Phil and I returned during the summer of 2012 to begin, re 
to begin reading through the Conscience Letter Archive and to photograph the returned and confiscated rocks. I wish you could see my face right now. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> Holy shit. I can't, and I'm so glad that we are hashtag cursed that we live in this time because the book's already been written. Oh, yeah. Like, like, someone needs to write a book about this, and they did. I know. (laughs) I'm so excited. It is called Bad Luck Hot Rocks, (laughs) and it's the best thing in the world. Wow. So there is um, two miles from the conscience pile, at the southern end of the park, there is a display that's called Mystery of the Conscience Wood. And in this display, sitting on a bench, is a huge piece of petrified wood that had been stolen 66 years ago. A man had hidden it in his truck under bags of potatoes, and then his son sent it back, believing that it had cursed their family. And then beneath the piece of wood, is there's a thick three-ring binder full of those letters. Yes. And I have collected for you oh my God. some of those letters. Oh, my God. Where possible, I'm going to provide you with, like, a description of what the letter looks like because in the archives and in the book, there's just, like, pictures of them. So you can see, like, the handwriting and everything, and it's incredible. This is, like, Dear Abby, but it's, like... <laughs> deer trees like deer triassic trees i know there's also i have to say so when the book came out in 2014 there was like a huge surge in people returning pieces of wood and then of course in season two of dead to me this year this is how i found this mystery they talk about the petrified forest and like whether someone took a piece of wood from the petrified forest Mm, maybe twice in two episodes in the whole season and apparently that also inspired a huge surge of people sending their rocks back wow yeah so linda cardellini is fucking changing the world yeah you guys this is like this is what you can do with your platform you can like help return ancient like uh you know artifacts to their proper home or you can invent words like cart So what are you doing with your platform? Ask yourself that. (laughs) Ask yourself that. Okay. Are you ready to hear some conscience letters? I was born ready. Okay. This is conscience letter 242. Red Sharpie on yellow legal pad. (laughs) This little rock wanted to go home, so I sent him. Please take care of him. I did. Put him out there where he can be among the moonlight and shooting stars of that gorgeous desert unsigned oh that one's so sweet i know conscience letter 497 typed out all caps no date (laughs) (laughs) to whom it may concern i am returning something that belongs to you bad luck or coincidence i didn't (laughs) believe that something could give someone bold underlined bad luck it took me three years to convince me (laughs) But here's what broke the camel's back. <laughs> After a long list of coincidence, I decided that each event that happened to me, period, was starting to look more and more like bad luck, comma. The final straw was when I stepped through the ceiling of our new house. That's when I told my wife, I have had enough. I am sending it back. Signed, sorry in Texas. P.S. Boy, what a relief. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my god. <laughs> Conscience letter 338. I guess that guy could have used some stronger cross beams if only he had some petrified wood. <laughs> Genius. We're booking you at the comedy club, dame. <laughs> you ought to be on a small stage that's six inches above the regular ground. <laughs> and get heckled. Constantly. No one will ever think you're funny because of your tits. <laughs> Conscience letter 338, dated June 19th, 1985. Ballpoint pen on circus, circus stationery. <laughs> My father took this piece of petrified wood. He didn't have any bad luck or guilty conscience. However, I had to go to an emergency room here in Las Vegas for a kidney stone. Here's your piece of wood returned before we get on the airplane for our flight back home. Unsigned. <laughs> oh, I know. Great. Okay. Conscience letter 336. Purple fine tip felt pen dated May 20th, 1985. This is in French, so I don't really know how to pronounce it, but I Google translated it, so I think I know. <coughs> J'attends, j'ai raqué. Is that, are those words? Sort of, yeah. What is it? How do you say it? Uh, what, what did you, the first one, say it again? It's je. Like J-E? No. What's J apostrophe A-I? J. J ton, which is T-E-N-T-E. Right? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then J, and then... E-R-A-K-E, <sighs> but it's like an accent on the E. e How do you spell that? E-R-A-Q-U-E. When I looked it up, it said, I tried and I lost. <laughs> Yeah, that's basically, yeah, that, that sounds right. Is that right? I believe it. Don't you speak French? You said I tried and I lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the word Iraqi, but yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> Great, we did it. <laughs> yeah. I just love I tried and I lost. Yeah, like I tried and I failed. Okay. That's all it says? Yeah, that's note. a whole note. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. This note, I do not know the conscience letter number. I don't know the date. It's all caps, ballpoint pen on taped together upside down notebook paper. Like scrawled diagonally. No punctuation. It just says, <laughs> I snaked on these three years ago. Very bad luck. Oh. <laughs> well, it gets the point across, doesn't it? <laughs> Okay, conscience letter 172, typed out, dated August 21st, 1980. While on vacation this summer, we toured through the beautiful Petrified Forest National Park. Upon leaving, my husband took these pieces enclosed with him as souvenirs. Now, after all the bad luck we have had, I am returning them where they belong. Upon returning home, we first found out that my stepmother had kidney failure, then our dog died, our central air conditioning went out, and our freezer. I had a really co close call in having a bad auto accident. Our truck broke down needing major repairs. Our cat was killed last night. A gas well blew out a cap, causing us to be evacuated from our home. 
So please take these pieces back before we have any more bad luck and accept our deepest apologies. Thanks. Signed, no name, please. This is incredible. I feel so bad for I know, but the level of priorities in this one is so good because it's kidney failure, dog died, air conditioning went out, truck broke down, cat was killed last night. (laughs) Yeah, like the cat was the straw. I, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. Okay. Conscience letter number 75. Handwritten by a child on yellowed notebook paper, received July 7th, 1971. It just says, sorry, semicolon, for my father. <laughs> That's so sad. He got in trouble. poor child. Okay. Conscience letter 83B. I don't know why this one has a letter designation as well, but it does. This one is handwritten. There are no capital letters at all. It was received February 16th, 1975. Dear Sir, I am writing this in hopes of easing my conscience and saving the most important thing of my life, my marriage. Against my better judgment, I removed three rocks, which my husband discovered hidden in my brazier. Since then, <laughs> being a true Christian, he has constantly told me of my wrongdoing. I am afraid that our marriage <laughs> is on the rocks. Boo. She didn't even, like, ha-ha it. <laughs> Do you think she did it on purpose? No. I think she's dumb. Yeah, me neither. Because she goes... I want all of my eight children to see your park in the same condition that I saw it in. I am keeping one rock to remind me of the lesson I learned the hard way. Okay, well. (laughs) I know. Then you didn't learn the lesson. She didn't learn it. It gets worse. I am enclosing 20 cents for you to buy another rock (laughs) to replace the one I am keeping as a token of my guilt. I would appreciate it. It's 60 million years old. <gasps> I know. That's my favorite one. Where does she think you're going to go? Like, <laughs> also, Jurassic Penny? It doesn't work Also, like that. why would you buy, like, where does she think you can buy a rock as opposed to just, like, picking one up off? I don't understand what she thinks is going on <laughs> in that park. <laughs> The implication is that she thinks that it's, like, curated, like, a setup. Like, set up. Like, they purchase rocks from all over the world and bring them there. And she also doesn't know. They're not fucking. They're wood. I just, like. Yeah, also not rocks. Yeah. uh, Well, they're quartz crystals, so they're technically now they're rocks. Now they're rocks. Here's my problem. We know she's not a feminist because she called her marriage the most important thing of her life. She <laughs> she also has she's eight wearing children. a bra in the 70s during the like bra burning times and she has eight children and she said she's her husband is a true Christian. Yeah, I mean, and so it's he just made her return the rock. So I already am not on her side. Full she's of already red not a flags. sympathetic protagonist. No, no, no. And now you're telling me that she gave them 20 cents to buy a new rock from somewhere, quote unquote, from somewhere for their rock exhibit that she thinks they're putting on (laughs) for their millions of years old. I mean, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. 
I'm furious. She continued. No, 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 no. She says, I would appreciate it if you would buy one to replace the other one very much. It would so ease my burdened conscience. Also enclosed are the two rocks. Please forgive me and keep up the good work. Thank you, Mrs. P. Hey, Mrs. P, go fuck yourself. Absolutely. Mrs. P, you got to know when to hold them. <laughs> and you got to know when to fold them. And you should have folded them before you got to the part about how you were keeping a rock <laughs> and giving them 20 cents to buy a new one. It's my favorite thing in the because whole world. Because then she wraps it up by saying, please get a new rock so I don't feel bad. Not even because like for the greater good. No, it's just so that, so that I don't feel, feel bad. So bad. Okay, I have one more. I'm so excited. This one made my heart warm. This is conscience letter number 319. It is handwritten. It is dated Thanksgiving 1984. It's like a form letter kind of. And there's a space at the top where you're like filling in like who it's from, where it's going, what the date is, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things that you fill in is relation. And this person wrote, one of you, (laughs) which is so cute. So this letter reads, to all, since I took these pieces of wood from the forest, it seems my life has gone downhill ever since. No matter how hard I try to make things right, I've been in jail most of the time since I've been to the forest, and my poor wife, who I dearly love, is ready to give birth to our third child. I hope by returning these pieces of wood, my life will straighten out and go the way my wife and I want it to. I truly believe it will. If it does, my wife and three children will be back to read this letter and see these pieces of wood in your case. I know this is the answer. P.S. I'm sure my wife will feel the same as I do. Right now, she's at home and I'm in my cell loving her. I know. I just love my wife and three children will be back to read this letter. (laughs) I'm in my cell loving her. I'm going to cry. It's so cute. I also just love relation. One of you. (laughs) What was he in jail for? I don't know. Hmm. It was so sweet. I know. That's so sad. I hope that worked. Too. I wonder if the people who wrote that book can find him. I bet he felt a lot better after he returned them, and maybe he turned his life around. Yeah. Uh, so those are the conscience letters I picked picked out for I you. I loved them. Thank you. You're so welcome. Except fuck Mrs. P, but like other than that. <laughs> well, every podcast needs a villain. <laughs> She's our villain now. Correct. I bet Mrs. she's in P. cahoots with Spiny. Spiny and yeah. Mrs. P. Correct. The, the antagonists of Mystery yeah. Team Inc. Yeah, they are. They're really like the riddler of our yeah, they're like operation our, here. There are like every other season, there's like a Spiny Big Bad storyline and a Mrs. P Big Bad storyline. And then we do like yeah. Monster of the Week. But then yeah. the season finale is like, how Correct. are they going to defeat Mrs. P this time? <laughs> and they bring Joss Whedon in because this is his strength. <laughs> yeah. So that's the mystery it. of the conscience wood. It 
only took us 44 episodes to establish a villain <laughs> in their plot arc. Listen, we know how to structure a story. Yeah, 43 romance B-plots and then one villain plot. Yeah, that's, that's ideal. That's what I want. Mrs. P was always there, though, you know? Yeah. I think there's undercurrents if you go back. <laughs> a lot of foreshadowing. There was a lot of foreshadowing for Spiny. A lot of breadcrumbs. <laughs> a lot of would say. Easter eggs, as fans would say. Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah, like, we'll go back and do a commentary rewatch with the director. <laughs> and we can be like, do you see that? That was foreshadowing Mrs. P. And the director will be like, absolutely, that was on purpose. We should do a director's cut. Every episode is a director's cut. <laughs> We've never so not done a director's right. cut. You're so right. We have no one in charge of us. There's no there's, oversight. There's no whatsoever. oversight. It's just whatever we want all the time. Whatever we want. Can that be the podcast's new motto? There's no Mystery oversight. Team Inc. No, Mystery Team Inc. Every episode is a director's cut. <laughs> I want a shirt that says that. I love that. Like the front can be our logo and on the back it can say every episode is a director's cut. <laughs> That's genius. I'm in. You know I want everything on a shirt. I love it. Well. On that note, let's take a break. <laughs> let's take a break. Okay, I'm excited. Okay. And we'll be right back. We'll be back. <laughs> We're back. We're back. Kind of. <laughs> We're back from a break that lasted several days. <laughs> we had science troubles. We lost half the audio from this episode, and as a result, we are now re-recording my entire mystery. Luckily, I have a famously terrible memory, so all (laughs) all of the details have leaked out of my brain. So it's like it's new. And luckily, I'm a professional actor, so I'm used to saying the same stupid (laughs) shit over and over again (laughs) in front of everyone. Uh. Our whole lives have prepared us for this. Yeah, exactly. Um, otherwise, this episode would have come out today on this, the day that we're fixing yeah, today it. today is Friday. So let's I'm get ready. into it, shall we? I'm really excited, by the way. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so my mystery is the mystery of the Valentich disappearance. Yay, 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 And content warning, this mystery is sad. It does involve a tragedy, but I find it fascinating. And also, it it's a fairly recent tragedy, fairly recent. So there are still people involved who are still alive. And so we just want to discuss this with some level of decorum and like consciousness of that and respect and respect so let's get started on the night of october 21st 1978 at 6 19 p.m 20 year old frederick valentich set out on a 125 nautical mile flight from melbourne to king island off the southern coast of australia he was piloting a rented single engine cessna 182 l 
At 7.06 p.m., about 20 minutes after takeoff, he radioed Melbourne Air Traffic Control to ask if there were any known aircraft flying around 4,500 feet. He spoke with controller Steve Roby, who told him there were no known aircraft in the area at that altitude. Valentich said he could see a large, unknown aircraft illuminated by four bright landing lights flying above him. He said he couldn't confirm the type of aircraft, but it had passed about 1,000 feet overhead and was moving at incredible speed. Here is the transcript from that radio call to air traffic control, which has been lightly edited to remove air traffic control identifiers and plane identifiers. Is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No known traffic. I am, seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot affirm. It's four bright, it seems to me like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at 1,000 feet above. Roger, and it, it is a large aircraft, confirm. Er, unknown due to the speed it's traveling. Is there any Air Force air, aircraft in the vicinity? No known aircraft in the vicinity. It's approaching right now from due east towards me. It seems to me that he's playing some sort of game. He's flying over me two, three times at, at a time, speeds I could not identify. Roger, what is your actual level? My level is four and a half thousand, four five zero zero. And confirm you cannot identify the aircraft? Affirmative. Roger, stand by. It's not an aircraft, it is... Can you describe the uh, aircraft? As it's flying past, it's a long shape cannot identify more than that it has such speed it it is right before me now melbourne and how large would the uh object be it seems like it's stationary what i'm doing right now is orbiting and the thing is just orbiting on top of me also it's got a green light and sort of metallic like it's all shiny on the outside it's just vanished would you know what kind of aircraft i've got is it military aircraft confirm the uh aircraft just vanished say again is the aircraft still with you? It's, uh, no. Now approaching from the southwest. The engine is, is rough idling. I've got it set at 2324 and the thing is coughing. Roger, what are your intentions? My intentions are, uh, to go to King Island. Uh, Melbourne, that strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. It is hovering and it's not an aircraft. Silence for 17 seconds. Open microphone with audible, unidentifiable staccato noise described as an unearthly sound of metal scraping and warbling. End of transcript. Oh, it's so spooky. It's so fucking spooky. The 17 second silence is... Yuck. Also, I think you said this last time, but the the fact that the last thing he says is it's not an aircraft... Oh my god, is so spooky. Like, so spooky it gives me chills every time yeah just like the definitiveness with which he says it it's not an aircraft is like oh yes i agree <sighs> so the communication ended at 19 12 and 49 seconds which is like 7 12 p.m the transmission lasted like six minutes frederick valentich was never seen or heard from again mm. god it's so scary an intensive air, land, and sea search was executed until it was called off on October 25th. No trace of the Cessna or Frederick Valentich was ever found. The original transmission was played on a radio station in Australia at the time. Since then, all public versions of the recording have been completely scrubbed. God, that makes me so angry. I know. It's like we've said before, it's like an Olsen twins lawyer. It's just <laughs> like... 
<laughs> it cannot be found. It's like when they won't let you dig up bodies. What? <laughs> you know when, like, <laughs> when families won't let you Oh, like disinter a corpse to like to do mm-hmm. science. Come on, guys. Let Is us it like have that? Recording. Yes. <laughs> okay, so it's equally as frustrating. <laughs> yeah, but I will say that Frederick's father wrote a letter to the Department of Transport requesting the audio because it was his son's last words, and he wanted a record of his son's voice and. Against normal protocol, they granted it to him, but only on the condition that he never shared it and it never, like, went past the family. So all public versions of the transmission have been lost. What would happen if you shared something like that? I don't know, but because it was, like, a physical recording at the time, like, it wasn't, like, we didn't have MP3s. It was, like, it must have been on. Like, a tape. Right. So, I mean, I guess he could, like, send it to a radio station or something, but then he would not have it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, and I think I if he shared it, about it, they would a... probably confiscate it. So, like, I think if yeah. he shared it, then the Australian version of the FBI or the Bureau of Air and Safety or whatever would probably come back and take it. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about it in the, like, <laughs> with regards to it being a physical copy. Yeah. Um, an oil slick discovered on October 22nd, some 18 miles north of King Island, quote, was not established as having any connection with the Lentich's plane. The Bureau of Air Safety Investigation released its findings in May of 1982, stating that, quote, the reason for the disappearance of the aircraft has not been determined, but that the outcome was presumed fatal. How did they determine that the oil slick had nothing to do with his plane? I'm assuming because they didn't recover, like, any evidence that the plane had crashed into it or crashed near there you know what i mean yeah because i think that an oil slick could be a result of a plane crash like if your plane was leaking oil but you would need plane parts also i think so yeah okay now i want to tell you a little background so frederick valentich had about 150 total hours of flying time which is not a lot of hours of flying time He had a class four instrument rating, which authorized him to fly at night, but only in, quote, visual meteorological conditions. He had enlisted in the Royal Australian Air Force twice, but was rejected because of inadequate educational qualifications. Yikes. He was a member of the RAAF Air Training Corps and studied part-time to become a commercial pilot, but he had a bad record because he had failed all five commercial license examination subjects twice. Wow. Oh, Lord. The month before his disappearance, he had failed three more commercial license subjects. Oh, my God. (laughs) He was also in trouble for being involved in multiple flying incidents. This is a quote. He had been involved in flying incidents, for example, straying into a controlled zone in Sydney, for which he had received a warning, and twice deliberately flying into a cloud for which prosecution was being considered. Listen, not going to fault him on that one. (laughs) That's what I would do. You can't fly blindly into a cloud. But it's so cool. (laughs) You know how the best part of flying in a plane is when you're in a cloud and you get to, like, look out and see that you're in a cloud? Yeah, but that's the thing. You can do that. There's just protocol. You can't just blindly fly into a cloud because you might crash into someone. But you can... Flying in a cloud as long as you have, like, permission from air traffic control. 
I don't need permission. I'm a fucking maverick. <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> Where we're going. Where we're going, we, we don't, don't need, need permission. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Another important piece of information about Frederick is that he was a true UFO believer. Messy. Those are all messy girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> According to his father, Guido, Frederick was an ardent believer in UFOs, and he'd been worried about being attacked by them. He had apparently watched several films and collected several articles about UFOs, and had even claimed to have observed a UFO moving away very fast earlier that year. And he had remarked to his father, like, basically, what are we as a society going to do if aliens attack? Also, it's Have important you seen to... Independence Day? <laughs> right. Well, that movie was not out yet. But it's important to note that this was the year, in March of this year, Close Encounters of the Third Kind was released in Australia. Oh, there you go. Now it's time for the theories. The theories. Can we make? I know. I was just going to say, yes, we're going to sound effect that's theories we're gonna make you and i are gonna make an intro to the theories section and we're gonna sample it and then put it in every subsequent episode of the podcast i love it i'm so excited i know it's gonna be the air horn sound it's gonna be us going theories theories (laughs) and i think we have the sound design skills (laughs) no i'm just gonna do it like that it's just gonna be like foley but i want it to sound like warped we can put a filter on it. All right, Bill Gates. Sorry? <laughs> I couldn't think of anyone else who's good at computers. <laughs> I didn't even make the connection that what you were trying to get to was good at computers. I thought you were trying to say, like, that's a billion-dollar idea. No. <laughs> because I don't think of Bill Gates in terms of computers. I think of Bill Gates in terms of being rich. Like, it didn't even occur to me. Also, Bill Gates is Microsoft, so it's like... <laughs> Okay, good at the worst computers. I I couldn't think. My brain was like, who does computers? (laughs) And then I was like, are you trying to think of like an Instagram? Is it like an Instagram reference? Like, just throw a filter on it. But it turns out that what you were trying to get at is, (laughs) I suggested putting a filter on it, and you called me Bill Gates because I was so good at computers. (laughs) Theory one. Steve Jobs. I don't know. What do you want from me? Uh, Anyway. That's not even what you should... You should be asking who does sound design. (laughs) Okay, off the top of your head, who does sound design? (laughs) Bill Gates? (laughs) Doc? Not so easy. (laughs) Coming up with sound designers. (laughs) But you weren't even trying to come up with a sound designer. be able to name sound designers off the top of your head but when i make them try to do it it's not so easy theory number one this is a contemporary theory from the time of frederick's disappearance theory number one is that he staged his own disappearance to the end of creating a ufo hoax thank you because i was about to say to what end (laughs) i know because last time we recorded this that's exactly what you said (laughs) I know. I still I still have a problem with it. I know. 
So it had been proposed at the time that Frederick Valentich staged his own disappearance. And they thought that this may, there, or I guess some of the so supportive evidence was that his Cessna would have had enough fuel to fly 800 kilometers, even at the point he disappeared. Like he wasn't low on fuel. Um, despite ideal conditions, at no time was the aircraft ever plotted on radar which also cast doubts as to whether it was even ever near Cape Otway in the first place, where it supposedly disappeared from. And coincidentally, Melbourne police received reports of a light aircraft, like a Cessna, making a mysterious landing not far from Cape Otway at the same time that Frederick disappeared. Also... A landing on on ground or sea? Yeah, no, just making a landing near Cape Otway weird and so they were kind of like did he was he pretending to be somewhere he wasn't and then made like a sly landing and then went into hiding or something also i'll bring this up later but um he didn't follow the protocol to tell king's island airport that he was planning on landing there so there was basically no record of his flight that's so strange i know i'll address it later here's my problem with that theory he, well, there's a lot of problems with it, but the main thing is that he not only had like a family that he loved and never spoke to again, but he also had a fiance who I heard an interview with on a podcast that was recorded a couple of years ago around the anniversary of his disappearance, where these guys went and interviewed people who were in, involved in Frederick's life. And uh, we can link to it in the show notes. Um, but they tell us that he apparently had bought her a ring and was it was still on layaway and she in the interview describes his disappearance and she says that she was um she says that he was at her house the night before he disappeared and that they had arranged for her to go with him on this flight but a series of odd events had unfolded that day that prevented her from going with him do we know what the odd events are we don't ugh But the night he disappeared, she said that she was at home and she was still dressed to go out with him when he got back from his flight. But he obviously never showed up and she just laid on her bed all night and didn't sleep. Oh, And then she says, I know, and this is a quote. In the morning, my dad religiously would turn turn the ABC on at 6 a.m. every morning. And as soon as he turned it on, it's the first thing that came on was that a pilot had gone missing over Bass Strait. So I got up and I rang the airport, not my father. I rang them and I said to them, I think I know the pilot that's gone missing. And they said, reply to me, you tell us who you think it is. And I said, I think it's Frederick Valentich. And they said, hold the line. And I just broke down and my father took over. God, that's so fucking sad. I know. God, that's Uh, so awful. I know. But a few years ago, she got a tattoo of his plane registration and the exact day and time that it went missing. That's so cute. I know. So. She should have gotten a tattoo that just said, fly into clouds. (laughs) It's what he would have wanted. It's what he he did want. (laughs) It's what he did. (laughs) He did, did he? You can. (laughs) Here's theory number two. He was abducted by a UFO. That's ufologists, it. Mystery solved. Ufologists. And just so you know, this is considered a UFO mystery. Just putting that out there. What? 
it's not considered like a missing persons mystery. It's considered a UFO mystery. Like, like the community remembers this as a potential UFO phenomenon. Like they, people don't think of it as like a mysterious death or disappearance. They think of it as a UFO mystery. So ufologists speculate that extraterrestrials either destroyed Valentich's aircraft or abducted him. I think this theory is interesting, not because I think that it was aliens, but because of the ripples it had, like, socially. So the case file for this case went missing for 34 years. A researcher named Keith Basterfield, who had followed the case since it happened in 1978, had been told by the government in 2004 that the official file had been lost or destroyed. Then in 2012, Keith Basterfield found it while searching through an online National Archives index on an unrelated topic. What? So Can he you? was researching something else and Can he found imagine? the fucking Valentich file. Can you fucking imagine? No. Oh my god. Because I got excited when I found, like, Joseph Henry Loveless on newspaper.com. Yeah. I mean, this is I can't a, even imagine. It's a classic Krart-level situation. <laughs> yes. The file is 315 pages. It's a huge fucking file. And Keith Flint, or not Keith, sorry, Keith Basterfield actually gives instructions to find it in the National Archives online, which I can give you, like, we can put it in the show notes. So if like you want to go find please. the file... You can go find the file. Here's a quote. What is significant about the file is that for the first time, it is revealed that parts of aircraft wreckage with partial serial numbers were found in Bass Strait five years after the disappearance. So this was information that was not released to the public, but five years after Valencia's aircraft went missing, an engine cowl flap was found washed ashore on Flinders Island. Okay. In I'm trying to picture this. Like, where are all these? How Do you know how far apart all of these locations are from one another? No idea. Okay. But Flinders Island is an island that's, like, off the coast of southern Australia. So it can't be more than, like, in my head. I mean, it's, like, in the, it's like part of the archipelago that King's Island is a part of, I believe. Okay, copy. In July of 1983, the Royal Australian Navy Research Laboratory noted that the part was identified as having come from a Cessna 182 aircraft between a certain range of serial numbers, which included Valentich's aircraft. It just, you know, seems like uh, it's not a coincidence. It's pretty definitive evidence that his plane ended up in the ocean, or at least part of it did. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Here's a quote. Most significantly, investigators leave the possibility of a UFO encounter open. Mr. Basterfield points out it was investigators, not Valentich or the media, who took the pilot's description of the object and labeled it an unidentified flying object. What? UFO theorists also will take heart in one document on the file which shows that for the first time, the head of the transport department took the possibility of a UFO encounter so seriously, he suggested his minister ask the defense minister to launch an investigation into the possibility. 
I have read about 20,000 pages of government reports on UFO files, and I have never seen such a suggestion, Mr. Basterfield says. That's crazy. Wait, okay. The person who asked for an official investigation, Mm -hmm. would they have been privy to the report about the um, pieces of the plane being found? That's an interesting question, and I'm going to guess, based on the reasons that we suspect the file was lost, that they would not have had that information, because that information was determined by the Royal Australian Navy Research Lab, and this is the head of the department, depart- sorry, head of the transport department. So they're like, one is like military, and one is like not, and I don't think that they would have been privy to that information. Okay. That's my guess. That's a solid guess. Yeah, thanks. So Keith Basterfield discovered that the file is still open, even though everyone thought they closed the case in 1983. It's still considered an open case. Because Keith Basterfield filed a Freedom of Information request in 2004, and it was denied because they claimed the file was lost. But Keith Basterfield doesn't believe in UFOs, and he also doesn't believe that there was a conspiracy to cover up the file. He says, quote, put simply, Many people within a department will have no idea how their filing system works and where files end up. So his theory is basically someone put it on a someone's desk in the Department of Transport and then someone took it and like sent it to the Navy and then the Navy like sent it back and then someone put it in a file and it just got lost for 30 years. God. Which as an administrator who works in an office, I can tell you that is very fucking possible. <laughs> Especially like think about having to do what you do but without computers i was just gonna say so like we i can find stuff really easily in like the google drive because i have like the power of google but i couldn't find that stuff in the google drive if i couldn't search keywords you know what i mean so it's like (laughs) and that like and even that is easier than finding a hard copy file in a filing system that's going between departments. I mean, there's just no fucking way. I just, I'm so stuck on the fact that he came across the file. By Did accident? he come across a digitized copy of it or the hard copy yeah. of it? No. So it's... who digitized it? Some intern. Oh my Literally God. some intern was like tasked with scanning, like fucking like, like every file from the Department of Transport. From like 1920 to like 2020. Wow. And it somehow just like got scanned in. Little did they know. (laughs) Yeah. God, that's so weird. So while we're talking about UFOs, we have to talk about the witnesses. Yes. We love a UFO witness. As with every UFO phenomenon, there were a couple of anonymous witnesses, and I literally can't even find a source that proves that these people existed. (laughs) But... One witness allegedly said, I looked up and I saw this long green light about a thousand to two thousand feet above the aircraft. So we sat there and watched it for a few seconds and the green light got closer to the plane and I said, that plane's coming down pretty steep about a 45 degree angle. I think it's going to crash. However, this witness did not actually see the plane crash. Then in 2014, the Victorian UFO Action Group sought help identifying a farmer near Adelaide who reportedly witnessed a 30-meter craft hovering over his property the morning after Valentich's disappearance. 
This is a quote from the Herald Sun. Does that track with, I don't know if you bothered to do this geometry, but I'm sure you didn't. But 30 meters, is that about how big the craft that Valentich saw would have been? I have no idea because none of it's real. (laughs) (laughs) This is a quote from the Herald Sun. It is claimed the Cessna was stuck to the side of the craft, leaking oil. The farmer even scratched the plane's registration number onto his tractor, but never came forward with the information because he was ridiculed by the few friends he told. Lead investigator George Simpson, one of the last people to see the plane in the sky, says the farmer, if still alive, might have information to solve the mystery. He conceded there was no proof, but he said it was the best new lead for a case that had intrigued Australians for decades. It's easy for some to dismiss, but there are corroborating stories confirming that there was a UFO near Adelaide at the time, Mr. Simpson said. You're getting pretty good at that. I was just going to say that may have been the best I've ever done the accent. It wasn't good, but it was definitely a personal best. Yeah. You're getting there. (laughs) Thank you. So I guess ultimately UFO interference is possible, but there is a better explanation. Theory number three is that Valentich was an inexperienced pilot. And this theory comes from a 2013 review of the radio transcripts and a bunch of research that was done by a man who is both an astronomer and a retired U.S. Air Force pilot named named James Magaha and an author who he worked with to like publish this story named Joe Nickel. And they may have unraveled the mystery. Still technically unsolved, but listen to fucking this. I'm ready. A computer search of the sky for the day, time, and place of Valentich's flight reveals that the four points of bright light he would almost certainly have seen were Venus, which was at its very brightest, Mars, Mercury, and the bright star Antares. They would have been... fucking insane. I know. They... they would have been in an elongated diamond shape and could have easily been perceived as the lights of an aircraft. This would also explain why he perceived that they were just hovering. And as he said, he was orbiting and the thing is just orbiting on top of me. The most likely explanation being in this case that Frederick was orbiting under the stars, which gave the appearance that they were moving. How how does your brain think What if we looked back in time at where the stars and planets were? Like, how do you even come up with that? You would have to be both an astronomer and a retired Air Force pilot. It's literally the only combination of human that... The only possible way. So what about the green light? That's so cool. Sorry, what about the green light? I'm stuck on the planet. No, it's amazing. No, it's amazing. What about the green light? The Gatsby question. That one was the UFO. Well, the Cessna 182 has a green navigation light on its wing. The green light, or its reflection in his windshield, may have confused him as it appeared superimposed onto what he already thought was a UFO. So if the light was reflecting in his windshield, it would have looked like it was in front of him. The green light. Wow. It's he says because because keep in mind at the beginning of the transcript he says it's four bright landing lights and then later he says after he's been, begun orbiting he says it's got a green light and sort of metallic like all shiny on the outside 
Yeah, it sounds like the reflection of your plane. It sounds like a reflection of a wingtip, the ocean, or simply the power of suggestion. This is a quote. Distracted by the UFO, he may have then been deceived by the illusion of a tilted horizon. That can happen when the sun has gone down but still brightens part of the horizon, while of course the rest of it gets gradually darker farther away. The imbalance of lighting can cause the horizon to appear tilted, so that in compensating by leveling the wings, the pilot inadvertently begins not to orbit, circle, but to spiral downward, at first slowly, then with increasing acceleration. This is known as a graveyard spiral. God, that's really dark, but the physics of it is cool. The Cessna 182L has a gravity-fed fuel system. What that means is that if he was spiraling downward, the tightening spiral would cause an increase of G-forces, which would lead to a decreased fuel, fl- decreased fuel flow. That would cause the engine to rough run, which explains why Frederick said the engine is rough idling and the thing is coughing. That's, God, it's really sad, but it's crazy. So theory 3.5 is that Valentich was so excited about UFOs that he distracted himself from his instruments at a critical time and it ultimately led him to a fatal crash. It's just so fascinating to me that they, that this guy like figured this out because he understands planes and also the sky so well. And also like, I mean, this is like the tilted horizon is like a fairly common uh, phenomenon that occurs to pilots you know like it's probably one of the reasons that a lot of planes disappear and a lot of like bermuda triangle-esque things happen you know i'm sure you've heard of times where they thought that pilots like were literally flying upside down and not realizing it because of the illusions that like and the, the way the mind plays tricks in this scenario like right at sunset so to me, that sounds like the most logical explanation. It's not an accept like it, it. It's never been like a widely accepted explanation. It just came out a couple of years ago, so. I mean, it makes still, the most sense for sure. It's still an open case, but to me, that makes the most sense, and it's also fucking devastating. Yeah. Because it's he was just an inexperienced pilot. Which is the sad part. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um. On the 20th anniversary of Valentich's vanishing, his family erected a commemorative plaque at Cape Otway. The plaque was unveiled by Steve Roby himself, the air traffic controller who was the last human to ever speak to Frederick. Oh, my God. I know. That's so sweet and so sad. I know. So that is the mystery of the Valentich's disappearance. I loved it. It was so And what I so think is a pretty solid explanation. Yeah, I can't think of a reason that that explanation wouldn't be correct. What a good mystery. Thank you. So that is episode 44. <laughs> Thanks for li- listening. No, no, no. Thanks for listening. This Thanks was for listening. a blast. This was a blast. We loved it. We loved it. <laughs> Uh, should we uh, do our sign-offs, Ben? Yeah, I just gotta throw a Sheila on the Barbie yeah. and me Pogo with the you don't with throw the a Sheila on the Barbie. 
<laughs> that's murder. I gotta and throw a sh- cannibalism. I gotta I gotta have a Vegemite with my Sheila. Ooh, gross. I'm trying to do uh, the our lips are sealed like when they're like <laughs> trying to understand the Australians and they're like yes. at least they speak English there and then the Australian like speaks in a bunch of slang and they're like what what <laughs> God what a blessing that film is. Here's the best part we realized when we rewatched it recently before quarantine. They uh, capture like FBI's most wanted like mafia criminals mm-hmm. and like paint their nails and put butterfly clips in their hair. Yeah. And that's how they like ultimately defeat them. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing that that's out there. That's literal girl power. And then, but then the real mob guy comes and then he like tries to get on an airplane that's taking off on the ocean. <laughs> Listen. And that's his downfall. It's a masterpiece. Uh, fuckle the back up. We don't know her. <laughs> Stay in your lane. Smooches. We did. That. The end. That was fun. We should do it like that every time. We did it. Yay. Uh, okay. Rate and review, please. Follow us uh, on Instagram. Send us an email. Check out the show notes. We love you. We love Goodbye. you. Good night. Good night. <laughs> With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.